Our reading today is from Isaiah 12. If you could please open your Bibles with me. And this is found in your Pew Bible on page 576. Isaiah 12, verse 1. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord. For though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. This is the word of God. Thank you. Uh, a college with a well-established uh, football team wanted to get a mascot, uh, so they decided to get a goat. Uh, the question, of course, was where to keep this goat? Uh, and two very enthusiastic uh, students offered up uh, their dorm room as the place to keep this goat. Of course, the head of the sporting department, head of this, and uh, uh, approached the two students and asked, I hear you guys want to keep the, the goat in your room? What about the smell? And the enthusiastic students replied, well, the goat will just have to get used to it. <laughs> As we have studied the book of Isaiah, the, the prophet has traced out and clearly shown how treacherous, foul, and wicked uh, human beings are in their nature. And while the goat could get used to uh, the smell of a college dorm room, we have seen in Isaiah that God cannot ever get used to sin. Sin is a violation, a transgression of God's law, and he's not passive towards it. To all these charges that we have seen from Isaiah that have been laid out so well to us, I think all of us would admit that with a bit of hesitancy and maybe a bit of shame, we can all admit to be guilty of all these things that these people have been accused of. In chapter one, God had to put up with the empty machinery of their cold religiosity. The people of God have a form of religiousness, but it's void of any heart. They are just putting up a show and God would not stand it and we know we are guilty of that. In Isaiah 2, God reveals his hatred for the arrogance of idolatry, something again that all of us would say we're guilty of. In chapter 3, he, Isaiah lays open the filth of bad leadership. The judges are corrupt, the magistrates are corrupt, the kings are corrupt. A bunch of wicked people being led by a bunch of wicked leaders. In chapter 5, Isaiah makes plain the six wars that God uh, 
uh, or God's revulsion rather at their greed, their access, their mockery of God, their redefining of truth, their false wisdom, their drunkenness, and their corrupt justice system. And of course, you would remember in Isaiah 6 where we were shown that even the best of us, a prophet like Isaiah, feels so completely undone when beholding this holy and precious God, and yet you are a sinful person. Woe unto me, for I am a man of unclean lips, he says, in the midst of a people with unclean lips. Unclean, unclean, unclean. Then, of course, chapters 7 through 10 clearly described God's devastation of Israel and Judah by those invading forces. Judgment would come. Judgment would come because of their rebellion. And again, friends, God is not indifferent to sin. He's not passive to it. Like them, the Israelites and the people in Judah, we reject God as our ruler by running our lives our own way. By rebelling against his way, not only do we damage ourselves, we damage other people and the whole world around us. So by the time we get to Isaiah 11, which Pastor Carl preached last week, and see this beautiful and magnificent vision of this messianic king, we wonder how it is possible for such a holy God to give these unholy people a majestic and beautiful savior, as that chapter describes. So naturally, chapter 12 then is the only appropriate reaction for the people of God as they respond to such glorious grace. How can it be that such unclean people are given a way out? We see three movements in this text, and the first one in verse 1 and 2, we get to see our personal theme. And this is our personal theme, that God is my salvation. You will say in that day, Isaiah says, I'll give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry at me, or angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. The you in verse 1 here is singular in the original Hebrew, and hence, this is a personal proclamation. The day that Isaiah has in mind is when this Messiah king that we read about in the previous chapter would rule and reign over his people. See, this same phrase in this day has been already used in Isaiah, but for different purposes. It's been used to talk about judgment in chapter 2, verse 11, in chapter 3, verse 18, in chapter 7, verse 18. But in this instance, the prophet uses it to mark the day when something greater and way more glorious would occur. And on that day, the people of God would give thanks to the Lord and praise his holy name. But for what reason? Isaiah says, because God's anger has been turned away from them. Let's talk about God's anger for a moment. The idea that God is angry can be maybe disorienting for some of us. But friends, it's a, it's a theological reality that offers such insight into man's condition, uh, how God responds to man's condition, 
And I think it even necessitates the need for this Messiah King who would come and save his people. And I would also argue that this song perhaps would be non-existent or its meaning bland without the backdrop of the anger of God. Though you were angry at me, Isaiah reminds God that he was angry at him. Have you ever been angry at someone? I'm sure you have. But friends, I want to assure you that our anger or our type of anger is barely comparable to God's anger. And so we can easily race past through verses like this without stopping to see what this is actually saying. See, the Bible tells us a couple things about God's anger. In fact, we learn from the scriptures, and we sang this this morning, that God is slow to anger and is abounding in steadfast love and mercy. The Bible tells us that God's anger is not an extension of his nature. He's not an angry, white-bearded man who's waiting to smack you when you do something wrong. He's not waiting to zap you because he's angry. His anger is not an extension of his nature. The scriptures also clearly show us that God's anger is always provoked. In other words, God responds to wickedness and evil with anger. Isaiah 5, verse 24 through 25, for they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and have despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people. Friends, yes, the anger of God is not the main message of the gospel. But the biblical gospel cannot be understood apart from it. It's not the main message, but we cannot understand the message without understanding the anger of God. But what I think is important for us to be reminded of as we consider this song is that because of our active participation in rebelling against the Holy God, if we are not in Christ, God's anger remains on us. God's anger remains on us. Now, I know this can be a little confusing, so stick with me and I'll try to explain this. When you and I were born, we were born with an inherited nature of rebellion against the Lord. That's how we are naturally born. Paul later on in Ephesians would argue that we were actually born dead in the trespasses of our sin, following after everyone and everything but God. And because of that, God's anger is on us by our very nature. Look at Ephesians 2 with me for a second. And you were by and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And listen to this part. And we're by nature children of wrath, children of anger, God's anger, like the rest of mankind. 
So Isaiah thinks that the Lord was angry at him, but that this anger has been turned away. The question is, how is this possible? How is it possible that someone who has God's anger remaining on them could be turned away? The answer to that, friends, is found in the righteous reign of the stump of Jesse. God is not passive over sin. So when Isaiah is saying, your anger turned away that you might comfort me, he does not mean that God's anger suddenly disappears into thin air. In fact, later on in Isaiah 53, he writes about this stump of Jesse, whom he describes as a suffering servant, and he says in Isaiah 53 in verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we were healed. Friends, grief is not ice cream. Neither are sorrows. Neither is being stricken and being smitten or being afflicted. This is God's anger being expressed on his son instead of on us who are guilty. Being crushed in verse 5 or being chastised or wounds. These are not nice things done to the Lord Jesus. This is God's anger being expressed to his son. It is through him, the Lord Jesus, that God's anger will be turned away. And if you're here this morning and you have not trusted in the Lord Jesus, I want to warn you that God's anger remains on you. You, you are born spiritually dead, and you are in active opposition to the rule and reign of God as king. I want you to think about this, this idea of being dead. The moment you pick a flower, it dies because it's separated from its very source. Now, the flower looks pretty, it looks beautiful, probably buy a couple and take them to your wife, but it's dead. Sooner or later, it's going to change in color. It's going to die, and we're going to throw it away. It may be beautiful. It may be red, but it's red and dead. It may be yellow, but it's yellow and dead. It's dead. It's a dead flower. Makes our wives happy, but it's dead. Apart from Christ, fellowship with God is broken. And if God is not passive over sin, then we know that judgment is coming. And that dead flower someday will be disposed of. But friend, there is good news. Listen to the words in John 3:36: whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath 
the anger of God remains on him. Through Jesus' saving works on that old rugged cross, those to whom God would pour his anger and wrath, he brings closer and he comforts. Not because of what they have done, but because of what he has done. This is the good news of the gospel, friends. That God's anger can be turned away from us. And what is the result of that? The result is that the people of God proclaim and exclaim and they sing that God is their salvation. They recognize that God saves us from himself, which is his anger, and to himself, which is his comfort. But also that God doesn't just offer us a way to salvation. He is our salvation. God is my salvation. He's not only the means to salvation, he's the end to salvation. So Isaiah says, I will trust and I will not be afraid. The people of God again exclaim and they sing that God is their strength. Sin by its nature brings us uh, discomfort and trouble. But God's people find God and thereby find strength. So, Isaiah says, I will trust and not be afraid. The people of God also exclaim and they sing that God is our song. This is in response to such a great salvation. Singing provides an emotional release and a way to express our thoughts and our feelings in a, in a pretty unique way. Uh, you have heard uh, uh, Plato say that uh, at the uh, touch of love, uh, every man becomes a poet, right? And I want to say this morning, at the turning away of God's anger, every man, every woman, every boy, every girl becomes a singer. We exclaim and sing that God is our song. And so they sing. Friends, if we understand how wicked they were, how wicked we are, how that wickedness separates us from God, how the only thing left for us is to be doomed for judgment, yet God made a way out through his son. When we understand all of that, we are left with nothing but to want to sing out loud of his goodness, of his grace, of his mercy that he has shown to us. So that's why we gather every morning here together and sing. And we all should sing, including the man. We all should sing. He has been kind to us. But they don't only sing about God. God is their song. God is their song. And so Isaiah says, I will trust and not be afraid. The second part of this song points to our corporate pleasure. And this is the corporate pleasure we have, joyful satisfaction in God, in verses 3. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. So the first uh, part was personal. The you in the first part was personal, but... The you in verse 3 is plural. If our personal theme is God's salvation from his own anger, 
The occasion of experiencing this salvation is described as experiencing drawing water from a well. Again, I want us to note that this endeavor is, is corporate, okay? It's collective. We are doing this together. While the Lord will save his people by crushing his son on the cross, God's people will be sustained and satisfied by drinking continually from these wells of salvation. Now, sometimes we may think that uh, since we have been saved by the gospel, we need something else to sustain us. But friends, it's not so. Those that have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, they go back to the same God and they drink of him more and more and more of his goodness. Remember the Samaritan woman in John 4? She had sought out satisfaction by having one husband after the other, after the other, and after the other. And when Jesus meets her at the well, he says to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst again. The water that I will give will, will become in him a spring of water whirling up to eternal life. And the woman says to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here again. Let me ask you a question. Are you satisfied? What is that one thing that you believe if you had, all things in your life would fall into place? Now, I hate to burst your bubble, but I'll tell you that whatever that thing is, it will be nice for a short while. But soon enough, you want something more. You want something different. You want something else. It could be a new house. It could be a new car. I hate to say it, it probably could be a new spouse. I don't know, because the, the one you have, you don't like anymore. There's this nature in us as human beings to want something else and something new. But for those that are in Christ, we draw from the wells of salvation and are thereby satisfied. We are saved by his grace. We are sustained by his grace. We are kept by his grace. If anyone thirsts, Jesus says in John 7, let him come to me and drink. With joy, you will draw from the wells of salvation. Now, I want us to note that he says wells because it's not just one well. Along the way, God puts wells where we can grow, where we can learn and understand who he is and what he has done for us. He puts along our paths, men, women, who will encourage us and teach us and remind us of all the good things that the Lord has done through his word. If God is our salvation, wells are any places we get to go to know him and to see him more. Friends, we got to draw from these wells. We got to take up any and every opportunity to drink up from these wells. Some of us have been walking with the Lord perhaps for a very long time, and we are parched and dry. We have no joy. 
We're going through the motion. It doesn't have to be this way. Drink up from these wells, O parched soul. Read your Bible. Meet up with a friend to drink up together in the scriptures. This is a corporate and collective enjoyment. Join a growth group. Talk to a pastor or an elder. Don't get parched. These wells of salvation never run dry. Now, if you've ever drank something enjoyable, is it not true that you want to go back and drink more and more of it because of the joy that it brings to you? Friends, this is true of our salvation too. The gospel that saved us also sustains us and brings us joy along the way. We see a transition again in the text here as we note our universal mission, which is the magnifying of the greatness of God in verses four, and, uh, four through six. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let, him, let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. There is something about the wells of salvation that after drinking from them, we start to speak of them. It kind of happens this way. You are drinking from the wells of salvation. You are reading the Bible with a friend. You are praying. You are talking about different things in the text. You are being challenged and encouraged. And maybe you are even getting rebuked. And somewhere along the, the way, you find yourself packaging those words and ideas in your mind for someone else. Suddenly you see a new angle to present the gospel to an unsaved colleague at work. Suddenly, you read a verse and it encourages you to share about the hope you have with your neighbor. Suddenly, you, you understand well the sinful nature of your college roommate and how only hearing the gospel and prayer will be the ways that he will get saved. And you want to endeavor to engage him and to evangelize him. When we drink from the wells of salvation, we want to make all these glorious things of the Lord known to others. We want to tell everybody what he's doing. We want to tell everybody what he's showing us. Isaiah says in that day, God's people would proclaim the necessity of God's deeds being made known to all the world. They will sing a song which is a, a call to evangelism. Make known his deeds among the people, we read in verse 4. But which deeds is he talking about? His saving work. He's bringing about a righteous king through whom his people will be saved. And which people are they to make these deeds known? All people. We see this in verse 4, but we also see it in verse 5 where he says, let this be made known in all all the earth, all the earth should hear and know the glorious deeds of God. 
Friends, this is the wonderful plan through which all the people of the world will be brought again to, uh, back to God. We are the ones that have heard this message. We are the ones that have been saved graciously and gloriously by the Lord. And the prophet is singing and saying, his people would make known his great deeds to everybody. What does the woman at the world do in John 4 after encountering Jesus? Verse 28 of chapter 4, So the woman left her jar of water and went into the town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and they were coming to him, coming to Christ. She goes into town and proclaims him. Friends, the wells of salvation are not the type of water that you drink and keep a secret. This is that joy-giving, that life-feeling good news of the wondrous deeds of God that we want to tell everyone. We want to tell our neighbors. We want to tell the soccer moms that seem to have it all together, but they don't. We want to call the dads that we play golf with, that have everything materially that they need, but they are unhappy and depressed. We want to tell that agnostic college student who has never heard about the, the gospel. We want to share this news with an awkward and anxious high school kid who's coming to fifth quarter here in our gymnasium. The wonderful works of God proclaimed to all the people. Those whom God has saved enjoy him and they speak of others, rather they speak of him to others. Those whom God has saved enjoy him and they speak of him to others. Do you understand how wicked and sinful the people in Isaiah's day were? And do you understand how we are active participants in that same rebellion? See, what made them sinful was not what they did, but they were doing what they did because they were sinful. It was a nature bent towards rebelling against God. But friends, we can sing this song together with the people of God because like them, God has been our salvation. We can continue to draw from the wells of salvation and as we do, we almost have no choice but to want to make these deeds known to everyone in this valley and everyone on earth. When we moved here from Africa, uh, Brittany and I, we stayed uh, with uh, Miss Betsy and Mr. Paul Slater uh, were shopping for an apartment, and very quickly, they told us about the glory and wonder of Handel's ice cream. <laughs> they told us of its great work, and with joy and snow, which was very confusing to me, they drove us to Handel's in Bodmin to draw from its wells. And friends, we have been spreading the fame of handles ourselves to all of our friends that come to town in a similar way. We saw, we tasted, and we proclaim.
What would you say to a policeman who saw juveniles vandalizing your property and simply said, well, you know, boys will be boys? What would you say to a doctor who, when telling you that you had cancer, would just say, just take two aspirin and, and get some rest? We'll probably think that they don't take their jobs seriously. And friends, it can be said about us that we're not taking our job seriously as Christians if we're not proclaiming about this great salvation to people who have God's anger remaining on them, God's judgment remaining on them if, if they do not trust in the Lord Jesus. Because those whom God saves enjoy him and they speak of others, rather they speak of him to others. As I thought about uh, this text this past week, I was reminded of a, a song that we, a hymn that we used to sing back in Durban by Frank Horton. Facing a task unfinished that drives us to our knees, a need that undiminished rebukes our slothful ease. We who rejoice to know you renew before your throne the solemn pledge we owe you to go and make you known. Those whom God has saved, enjoy him. They speak of him to others. Friend, if you have been saved from his anger, I want to encourage you to continue to draw from the wells of his salvation and tell others about him. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we honor you and we magnify your name. Thank you for such a great salvation. Thank you that through your son, your anger is turned away from us and that we can drink with joy from the wells of salvation. Help us to faithfully proclaim you coming this fall and in the years and seasons to come at Old North. Give us the courage, give us the urgency to proclaim your glorious deeds. We pray all these things through your wonderful name.